talking this morning about the resurrection. One of my favorite subjects that I that I ever speak about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most powerful subjects. In fact, the Bible says if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are still in your sins. You're not saved. I met a guy who was a member here for a number of years, and uh, we believe the boy was saved, a German man, and he. Uh, I asked him to teach adult Sunday school class on the resurrection, and he called me over to his house that week, and he said, I, I really am having a trouble with this, preacher, because I don't believe in it. Oh, that was a shocker. I said, wow. So I took him to 1 Corinthians 15 and just said, if you don't believe in resurrection, you're not saved. You can't be saved. Because the resurrection is the defining moment of who Jesus is and who Jesus was and who is he, who he is to come. Let me talk about that. Mark chapter 9, right after the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus took the inner circle, Peter, inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up to a high mountain, and he appeared to them with some of his glory. So he appeared to them in glory. Uh, Moses and Elijah were also up there. I always ask the question, how did the disciples know that they were Moses and Elijah? Did they wear name tags? I'm Moses. Because they'd never seen Moses. They'd never seen Elijah. And yet they knew. So I think there's in heaven there's an inherent ability to know stuff that we don't have. A, another sense that we don't possess a gift from God. They knew who he was. And they began to try to make Moses and Elijah equal with Jesus. And the Father will never allow that. And then so Moses and Elijah just disappeared, and then Jesus said, this is my son. This is him. He's the one to concentrate on. So they came down from the mountain. Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody about this. And we start in verse 9. As they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. Now, I don't know about you, but that's like saying don't wear pink. <laughs> Sometimes these, these couples, they'll get pregnant. And they tell me, don't tell anybody. Now, you don't, please don't tell me you're pregnant. Couples, don't tell me you're pregnant because it's killing me. It's killing me. It just kills, just, unless you're ready to let everybody know, don't tell me about that stuff. Please, please, I'm, I'm struggling. And so uh, let's just tell everybody, tell the whole world. But anyways, uh, they said, don't, don't mention anything you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And they, evidently it was somewhat of a new thought to them, and they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another. And this is the key phrase I'm going to come off on is, uh, what the rising from the dead should mean. What does the rising from the dead mean to you this morning? What does the Christ has, has risen from the dead, or in this case in the rising from the dead, what does it mean to you? We're here in this church, as so many people are across the world, as the time changes and services happen. There are literally services about the Lord Jesus Christ happening all over the world, celebrating the historical event that happened in that little country of Israel almost 2,000 years ago. And so we celebrate the resurrection. Yes, we celebrate the crucifixion because that was his substitution for us. But without the resurrection, there's no importance to the death of Christ. You have to have the resurrection 
and, and without for it to mean something to you. Uh, we celebrate all over the world this man called Jesus, this carpenter's son from an unknown little town of Bethlehem, which is a village. It was just a little village out five miles outside Jerusalem. This, uh, we celebrate all over the world this person who never went, never had a formal school education, who never had any degrees, he never wrote a poem, he, he never wrote a book, he never wrote a song, he never held an elected office, he never headed a business or a corporation, he never traveled more than 200 miles from his place of birth and never owned property, yet, yet. More schools were founded in his name than any other man alive. More poems have been written about Jesus than any other man alive. More books have been written about Christ than any other man alive. More songs have been written about Christ, probably, and I would say this confidently, than probably any other man alive. More important people in high offices have honored him than probably any other man alive. There is almost no place in the world his name is not known or recognized or a church is not built in his name. Around the world this morning, people are flocking together in memory and honor of this poor carpenter's son from Bethlehem called Jesus. Why? Why? How could this be? What makes Jesus stand out from all the big shots of history? What, what's the intrigue? What's the mystery? I believe it is the resurrection. It is his rising from the dead, as our verse said, that makes the difference between Jesus and all the other folks that have ever claimed anything. Why? Because death is the ultimate dictator over mankind. The resurrection is our hope as Christians of life past this place. It is a glimmer of light on the, on the horizon. It is a possibility of relief from this old veil of tears called life. No one has been able to break it or suffocate it's, or break a suffocating grip. Pharaohs in the past in Egypt built tremendous monuments desperately trying to overcome death. The Mayans, the Aztecs, built thousands of pyramids hoping to assuage death's thirst. Monuments all over the world testify this morning of the vain efforts of whole nations to overcome death's dominance. But no, all have no avail. Death still reigns. Or does it? Or does it? Jesus' death Shedding of his blood and burial are meaningless, as I said before, without the resurrection from the dead. What God would would what good, if I may say, would it do if modern medicine could extend your life for five hundred years? Now they're working hard at trying to extend our lives, but let me tell you so far they are failing. I just turned seventy about a year and a half ago, a year and a half, and man, I've never been more miserable. I mean, if this is old age, you can keep it. I mean, getting old is tough. Getting, I've said it for years, but now I'm experiencing it. Getting old is not for sissies. It's not. Uh, Dr. Bailey's here, and we have a, my veterinarian friends here. And he's probably, by the way, he's a tremendous doctor of every, every sort. What if you could extend somebody's life 500 years? 
What if I told you you could take a shot and live 500 years longer? What if you could take a shot and live 1,000 years longer? i got to ask this question. What good would it do? You're still going to come to the end of that period of time, even though it's long. Yet you know how life is. I never thought I'd reach this age. It seems like, whew, I'm here. Well, if you're, if, you reach, if you're 500 years old, I think it's kind of the same way. Pretty soon, whoo, you're 500 years old, and you got one more day to live. And the end of it, no matter how long they could extend your life, you're still going to face your enemy, death. Because death waits at the end of, of this life. It's ready to squelch all progress and all hope you may have made. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection destroyed the very power center of death. And I rejoice in that this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 15, two tremendous verses. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I went to Arlington Cemetery. How many here have gone to Arlington Cemetery? Oh, God bless you. You ought to go to Arlington. You want to go to Arlington just to get the overall visual picture of the sacrifice that has been paid for the freedoms we so cavalier enjoy. We just take them for granted. Free speech that we're doing right now has been paid in blood. Because there's a whole group of people that do not want to have free speech, even in America. Arlington Cemetery was so moving to me. I wept when I saw those crosses. Thinking of every one of them was a, a mom and dad's son. Precious to them. On one of the... Uh, headstones they have there, it was, it was written, it was a Civil War headstone. I wanted to make mention of that. Civil War headstone. It said, John eleventh twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. Going all the way back to the Civil War, that old boy had put on his stone, he was a believer, and he trusted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where am I laying my trust today? In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many here this morning are children of the resurrection. Believers in the one called Jesus. I've done a lot of funerals, many, too many funerals, really, to be honest with you. There's a huge difference between a believer and a non-believer in a funeral. I do a believer's funeral, and there's, it's not really a sad moment. I mean, we're sad to see him go. A lot of times they've suffered and suffered and suffered and eventually died, so we're somewhat relieved that the suffering, the immediate suffering is over, and we know where the soul goes, and we know through their faith in Christ, and, and the, we know about hope of the resurrection. So in some degree, we're happy for them that they're out of the suffering and now into the care of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But that is not so when you do an unbeliever's funeral. If I was an unbeliever, I'd want to stay alive as long as you possibly could stay alive, stay alive. 
Because what the unbeliever has to face after death is so horrendous, so awful, so horrible, so unimaginable. His death seals your decision. While you're alive, there's still hope. But after death, if without faith in Christ, there is no hope. I think of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 57. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You said here as a believer this morning, you may have all kinds of troubles, and you, and if you live long enough, you will have troubles. But I can tell you by the grace of God, you can endure whatever comes your way because of faith in the victory that's coming through the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then there's, our preaching is vain. My preaching this morning is useless. And our faith that you have is useless. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. That's the same chapter, by the way. Did you read, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The power of death. Let me try to word it this way. What is the power of death? Our sin. Our sin. Power of death was that our, we're guilty of violating God's law in thousands of ways. The law demands just punishment for those violations. Death is that punishment. What is death? Death is simple separation from God. It is not, it is not, it is not a cessation of consciousness. Don't you let anybody convince you, but the Bible does not teach death as a cessation or stopping of your consciousness. It is the beginning of of what I would consider a raised consciousness, a spiritual consciousness that we've maybe not even understood or known on the other side. I believe death is simply a door we walk through. Not to not remembering anything, but it's remembering everything. The Bible says you'll be judging a body for the deeds done in your body, whether it be good or bad. Death is a punishment for sin. But it's not just physical death. It's, if, if I may say, separation of your soul and spirit from your body, but it is a separation of your soul and spirit from God. That's the real death you want to worry about. The same Bible that testifies John 3.16, and I love to preach on John 3.16, and I love to preach on the love of God, and I love to preach on happy things, but the same Bible that says John 3.16 also says Revelation chapter 20. Let me read a few verses there, starting at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne then that sat on it, from whose faith the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. These are folks, these are folks that have not received Christ as their Savior, and they die. For after death, you'll not have any more freedom of choice. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. doesn't sound like they're unconscious to me. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. You say, Brother Bill, you got two deaths? Born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die once. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name this morning in 
the book of life. All I can tell you is I would do whatever I had to do to make sure my name was written in the book of life. Whatever the Bible said you got to do to have your name written in the book of life, make sure your name is written in the book of life because the Bible says whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. I don't believe in hell. It doesn't make any difference what you believe. You believe in hell. You don't believe in hell. What do you know? People come tell me, I'm going to die like a dog. How do you know a a dog when he dies doesn't go to heaven or? How do you know where a dog goes? People say, well, you die like a dog. It means you're unconscious. Oh, do you know that? No, you don't know that. You don't know anything about after death except you got out of the Bible or somebody else told you about it. Where did they get their information? I think in Revelation 21, 8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, that's tough. That's tough news. I'll get it. That's tough news. But it's truth. It's the same Bible that talks about God loving the world. Jesus' resurrection pronounces his victory over sin. Secondly, it pronounces his verification of his acceptance. How do we know Jesus is who he said he was? How do you know that? Well, Acts chapter 17, 31 says, Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. That's the seal of God that all the things that Jesus said were true. All the things that Muhammad said are not true. All the things that Buddha said are not true. Why? They're still in the grave. They didn't even have enough power to keep themselves alive. How much more are they going to keep you alive? Makes sense? Logic? 1 Corinthians 6.14, And God both hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Knowing that he, hath, he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up us also by Jesus. What? I'm going to learn to read one of these times. Basically, because Jesus is raised up, we get to be raised up as believers in Christ. He said, because I live, you shall live also. A lot of people through the ages claim deity and divine authority, but they're still in the grave. God the Father did not accept them. The only one who got the royal stamp of approval is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This morning, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? John 14, 6, so many people know it and quote it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. There's a false teaching out there that all roads lead to heaven. It, some sentimental... Some sentimental tear in the eye person will come up to you and say, oh, honey, all roads lead to heaven. Don't sit there and go, yeah, because it's a heresy if you say yeah. Don't say it. The Bible is as clear as crystal that all roads do not lead to heaven, that there is only one road that leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ himself. That's the Bible. It's the word of God. The Holy Spirit confirms it with you. So what does the rising from the dead mean? Well, first it means victory over death. Secondly, it means verification of acceptance of his sacrifice. Thirdly, it means verification of his words. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 31. Jesus predicted his resurrection. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and shall, they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. He predicted his own resurrection. Who can do that? Ask yourself some question. Who can do that? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus Christ talks about giving his life for us. And even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The resurrection from the dead proved Jesus' words were true. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that this morning. Matthew chapter 24, 35, Jesus says a tall statement. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That's a tall statement. I can't get up here and say, Bill Lytell's words will forever be remembered. Are you kidding me? You can't remember them when you go to lunch. The wife, I know what goes on. You're on the way to, you're on the way to lunch, and the wife turns over to the husband and says, what was the subject of that message today? And the guy's driving, he's going, uh, I think it was the Bible. <laughs> I don't want my words to stick with you because they won't. I want God's word to stick with you because it can if you allow it, and it will. In John 12, 48, he that rejected me and receiveth not my words Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Who can say that? All of what Jesus said is vain rhetoric without the resurrection to back it up. The resurrection was, was the verification that his words were true, that what he said is right. doesn't make any difference what people, people are bigger, people are braggadocious. They get up and brag about this, brag about that. But eventually death comes and is a great leveler, it's called, and levels people out, and none of those things was true. The Bible says in John, Romans, excuse me, 10, 9, it says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Amen? I don't want you to miss Jesus. I don't want you to miss him. There was a social experiment done in Washington by the Washington Post. It was financed by the Washington Post. And I don't know if you've all been here, but I've been to the metro station in Washington, D.C. How many have been to the metro station in Washington, D.C.? Oh, my. It was ar the architecture of the metro station in Washington, D.C. was copied after the Romans. It looks like the Romans came and built that thing. You've been there, brother? It's amazing, isn't it? It really is amazing. The metro station if you don't get mugged on the way there. It's a pretty sad case of affairs that our capital is one of the most crime-ridden places in the United States. That's pretty sad. But this Washington Post thought they'd do a social experiment. It was an interesting experiment. It was done in 2007. A man with a violin, and, and by the way, when we were there, they had people singing and people playing and, there was even a guy preaching outside the metro station. God bless you. So I stopped by and listened to him for a little while. But they, they put a man playing a violin. He played six intricate pieces from Bach. 
for about 45 minutes. During that time, some 2,000 people, because they were counting, 2,000 people passed by this man on their way to work. At about three minutes, a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace, stopped a few seconds, and then hurried along. At four minutes, the violinist received his first dollar from a woman who threw the money in the hat, but did not stop, just kept on going. At six minutes, a young man leaning against the wall listened to the violinist a little bit, looked at his watch, and started to walk again. At 10 minutes, a three-year-old boy stopped with his mother, and I think this is the most funny one of them all, three-year-old boy, stopped with his mother and uh, wanted to pay attention to this man. The mother, of course, hurrying, hurrying, hurrying in a rush, In a rush, she grabbed the boy and drug him off. The whole time she dragged him away, he was looking back at the violinist. That's interesting. This action was repeated by other children, by the way. The children that went by wanted to stop, and they wanted to listen. But every parent, without exception, Heather would have done the same thing, forced their children to move on quickly. At 45 minutes, a musician had played continually. Only six people had stopped and listened for just a short period of time. Twenty of those people that went by gave some money, totaling a grand total of $32. Now, that's interesting. At an hour, he finished playing, and it was silent once more. No one noticed. No one applauded. No one gave their recognition. No one knew that this violinist was Joshua Bell, which is considered one of the best musicians in the world. He played the most intricate pieces of music ever written with a violin that was worth and is worth $3.5 million, Stradivarius. Two days before this, he had played to a sold-out theater in Boston. The Boston folks, they love that. Where the seats averaged, averaged $100 a seat. If we do not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the finest music ever written with one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, what else could we be missing? Jesus Christ is the greatest man who ever lived. Participating in the greatest event ever recorded. Providing the greatest opportunity ever given. The salvation of your soul. The gift of eternal life. That illustration always moves me when I read through it. I've seen people miss Jesus. They miss Jesus. You don't want to miss Jesus. 
He paid the penalty for your sins. All the penalty. All of it. He took upon him the sins of the world. I believe that if, if people would believe the, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, was powerful enough to save everybody that ever took a breath if they would just simply believe in him. Of course, it's with all your heart. Of course, it has to be real. There has to be a sense of a change of mind, repentance. That's what that is. But simple childlike faith. Jesus said, except you become as a child, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's with a simple childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm putting my weight upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the testimony of the resurrection of him, him also. How about you? I don't believe. You will. The Bible says clearly in the book of Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Everybody someday is going to be in agreement that Jesus is the one. He's the Lord. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the Christ. He's, he's God. Manifest in the flesh. My question I leave you with this morning, resurrection won't do you a bit of good if you don't repent and trust Christ as your Savior. You'll miss it. How foolish these people that went by, some 2,000 people went by. I bet they would have felt if they ever realized, if anybody had ever told them, this is Joshua Bale, this is a Stradivarius, this is six pieces of box, some of the finest music ever written by the finest musician ever played it with the, with the finest uh, a violin ever played. And he, you can sit here, you don't have to pay $100 a seat. You can sit here for free and listen to this. I offer you salvation this morning for free through Jesus Christ. It's been paid for. Why did he do it? Loved you? He loves you. The Bible, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. What a horror it will be to miss Jesus and, and find yourself on the other side unable to change your mind. I don't doubt at all that people on the other side will say, oh, I, I believe. Well, yeah, you will. But your decision-making must be on this side. What will you do with Jesus? Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning the power of God may come. I've made some effort to glorify and honor the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His words. Father, I pray that people wake up, shake themselves. People that don't believe oftentimes have never read any part of the Bible and if they have read, they've read the wrong part. They've read the book of Genesis, or they've read the book of Deuteronomy, or they've read some Psalms, or maybe some Proverbs. But have you ever read the book of John? Have you ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why don't you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John five, six, seven times? Your soul is worth it. It's worth the energy it would take to honestly and seriously investigate is this Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, really? Did he resurrect from the dead? What is this rising from the dead about? 
Investigate it. Stop. Don't go by. Father, you come today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.